1: Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
2: Joining us on the Harbor One Hotline from the NBA bubble in Orlando, Florida... Is Sports Illustrated NBA reporter Chris Mannix. Chris is brought to you by Star Market and the brand new Star Market at the Hub on Causeway, just outside the TD Garden. Hey, Chris, how are you? What's going on, guys? uh... First question from me: Did you have second thoughts about putting yourself in this position, or no?
3: No, no, no second thoughts going into it. I mean, s- safety-wise, I mean this is probably the safest place you could possibly be on the planet, and. Um, y you, you know, having covered the NBA for the last few months, you know, through Zoom calls, with uh, phone calls, text messages, I mean, you you had to do something different. And this is, you know, I wouldn't call it a unique opportunity, but certainly with only, you know, nine or ten media members, reporters inside this uh, this campus, uh, you know, you, you're going to have a chance to do some things that the other people can't. And, and that's kind of what you in today's kind of media landscape that those are rare opportunities and I'm I'm pretty giddy about it actually.
0: What did you or what have you thought of a lot of the players' reactions that they have taken to social media, whether it's uh J.R. Smith or Ennis Cantor or Rajan Rondo, what what did you think? it's not a good
3: look. Um some of it, like, you know, the, the Rondo picture of, you know, is this Motel Six, I mean, give me a break. I mean that's, that's <laughs> it's a nice hotel room that they're staying in. It kind of makes, you know, NBA players look like dilettants um to a degree um I'm not a huge fan of everybody posting pictures of their food I think that's kind of dumb uh but uh, it's not like it's you're not in white collar prison here like it's you you're you're in a hotel room you you get good food you get as much you know water drinks as you want like it's just it's it's it is what it is I mean the the challenging part certainly is what I'm involved in right now which is you know the media members that come down here because they haven't been regularly tested like the players have been tested at their own facilities, we've got to do a hard seven-day quarantine. We are quite literally not allowed to to leave our hotel room for the next six days. And uh, I can tell you, having completed day one, uh, that's going to be problematic in about four or five days right? I start climbing some walls.
4: <laughs> so, Chris, from your perspective, obviously there's going to be opportunities to build relationships. You talked about you're one of the few in there. What is it going to be like moving forward for you as a media member? Are you going to be at all the games are you going to be zoom calling interviews will you have actual direct contact with players for interviews what's that process going to be like for you
3: yeah there are two you know two obvious upsides to to being inside one is that you can go to every practice and every shoot around and and watch like you would any the end of any every practice theoretically you can get one on one interviews with players if you request them they've got to be done Um, uniquely you can't just sidle up to a player and and sit down next to them and do an interview they've got to be set up where you're six feet apart and um, you know wearing masks and all that that goes into it but you can get one-on-ones where on the outside you really can't Um, and the other thing is you know you guys can remember I mean it, it used to be media members sat on the floor you know for uh, for games now, because of you know the need to put seats in those spots and make money off them, media members are often you know way up in the the, the rafters at times uh, covering games, or at least well off the floor. Uh, now in this situation, we're back on the floor. Not only we're we on the floor, we're on the floor where you can hear everything. Hmm. Like there's not going to be any kind of you know ambient crowd noise, or maybe if there is manufactured crowd noise, it won't be that loud. You'll be able to hear player interactions, you know, coaching interactions. Um, you know, all sorts of stuff that, that you couldn't get otherwise, and I think it's going to give us the ability to, you know, give readers a look into, you know, the the what goes on in these games deeper than maybe we ever have uh, before. So those are the two things that I think you you substantively gain by being part of this experience.
2: We're talking to Chris Mannix, Sports Illustrated and com. He is in the NBA bubble in Orlando, Florida. Uh, began yesterday and uh, will be quarantined for the next six days, as he told us. There have been some smart-aleck things written and said. Stephen A. Smith talked about it. Uh, There's an Instagram model who said she's been invited inside the bubble already. What kind of pressures will there be within the player community to not screw this thing up?
3: There's significant pressure, which doesn't mean that, quite frankly, Stephen A. Smith is wrong. (laughs) I don't think that – I mean, it wouldn't shock me if – you know, somebody tries to sneak somebody in or something goes on behind the scenes. But look, we're talking about, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, 25-year-old, you know, single guys that have never been locked in this type of situation for very long. So would a scenario like that happening shock me? No, no, it wouldn't. I mean, I think there's certainly, you know, ongoing conversations with with players uh, about not, you know, screwing this up, as you said, making sure that, uh, you follow the rules to the best of your ability. You know they've they've got I think like basically ex army you know people in here to like monitor this type of stuff to make sure nobody's coming in and out of the bubble. So you know that's something that um, that they're they're watching pretty close. I think the most honestly the most significant danger to the bubble to me is what happens in about a month. In about a month they're going to presumably let friends and family come in uh, under similar quarantine rules once the the first round of the playoffs is over and you eliminate basically half the league. Um, what happens then? Like, you have young kids maybe wandering around. You've got family members. They want to use the park. I mean, I, that, that, that to me represents the biggest threat to the bubble going forward. Because right now, I can tell you, it's as close to airtight as you can possibly get. I mean, the the testing procedures and the protocols they go through. I mean, I have to be tested here every single day, even though I'm not leaving my room uh, at any point in time. Going forward, you have to be tested Every single day, you have to you have to fill out an online uh, questionnaire uh, that effectively uh, t- tells you sy- any symptoms you might have. Take your temperature every day. Uh, take a I think it's a, a blood oxygen level every single day. And like they're, I mean, this is this is pretty intense. The protocols that they're going through. So for right now, I think it's it's in pretty good shape. I just wonder. You know, once the the family members start to come in, and and maybe there's some outside influences, uh, is that is that problematic?
0: How are things going logistically right now? Because I think I read somewhere that the Celtics were they were late getting onto a court at one point because of their quarantine, and there was another time where they had to move courts or like just how are they figuring everything out right now as these teams are practicing?
3: It's very much still a work in progress. I mean, they have carved out basically three hour blocks for teams to practice um and and, look for logistical reasons, sometimes they get on the court a little late, sometimes they stay a little late, it screws up the team that's after it and remember, after every team is done, they have to sanitize that court to make sure that you know everything is 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 clean before the next team gets on there. So there are definitely some some minor logistical hurdles that have to be run through and look, every team here for the most part wants to practice as long as possible I mean, these guys are getting their players. On the court in three on three and five on five situations for the first time in almost four months. So you know they wanted to you know take every minute of it. Sometimes that can lead to a little bit of overlap and some problems uh, with, with with that side of it. But you know, think these are minor issues uh, right now that teams are dealing with, and and nothing I think that that is is significant.
4: Chris, beyond the coronavirus and return to play rules in that area, obviously one of the discussions was. Um, you know the Black Lives Matter movement, the social justice, and you know the players' ability to wear messages on the back of their shirts. And we've already seen Anthony Davis, LeBron, some other names opt out of that program. They're going with their traditional names. Is that um, is that going to be an issue throughout this? Is that something that players are talking about? Is that still um, an agenda for some of these guys, the Black Lives Matter movement and the social justice reform?
3: Well, it, it, it absolutely is for a vast majority of players. I mean, LeBron opted out of uh, wearing something different than his name on the back of his jersey, but in every Zoom interview I've seen him do so far, he's wearing his more-than-an-athlete hat, and, you know, as, as has been reported before, I mean, he's got this um, this voting uh, movement that he's doing that is, is going to basically lead up to the November election. He'll be pushing that pretty significantly over the next uh, few months. So it's top of mind for, for most, if not all, of the nba players here now the the issues that that the league would probably like to revisit if they could if they go back in time is that they probably should have involved more people in the process of choosing what to wear on these jerseys i mean the union was involved Like this wasn't a unilateral league decision the union was involved every step of the way in deciding what would be appropriate to wear on the backs of of the uniform this wasn't adam silver sitting in his office going that sounds good that sounds good that sounds good this was michelle roberts chris paul I mean, people involved in this process on the union side uh, pretty heavily. So, they—they, they, they, I think if they could go back though, they probably would have put it out to more of the rank and file, gotten LeBron more involved. You heard, you know, Jalen Brown had, had reservations. Mike Scott with the Seventy Sixers had some reservations. So, I think they would have done some things uh, a little bit differently. But you know, it, it, the players going to find their way to to push this uh, push this narrative as far as they possibly can because it's important, and and they want to make sure that that the social justice movement doesn't get lost in conversations about Rajon Rondo's thumb injury or, you know, Ben Simmons back and all the things that go into covering a basketball season. Well, one thing I would say too about the, yeah, you know, there's so much talk about like, you know, can players say, why can't players say what they want about Hong Kong and China to my knowledge? And I've asked this from a number of different people. Not one player is asked to, to wear something like that on his jersey. Not one player is asked to wear like free Hong Kong on, on the back of his jersey. Not to say that, there aren't people that feel that way within the NBA. There obviously are. But it's disingenuous to say that players are being prevented from wearing something uh, about China when, again, to my knowledge, no one is asked to actually do that.
2: In the NHL, there is a 5 p.m. deadline today for players who elect to opt out. Stephen camphor of the Bruins is the only Bruins player to this point who has elected to opt out of, of returning. In the NBA, is the assumption that if if you got on the plane and flew to the bubble, you're in, or can players still opt out?
3: They, they can still opt out. The NBA sent a deadline, if you want to call it that, for back in I believe it was June 24th, and that dead, deadline came and went, and players were still, you know, opting in and out at that time. Players were strongly considering whether or not to play. As recently as a few days ago, you know, role players that I know who are going back and forth on. On this issue, for, for myriad reasons. I mean, players are not speaking with one voice on this issue. It's you know personal reasons, social justice reasons, health reasons. There are a lot of things to consider as they prepare to quarantine themselves for for a number of months. Uh, but I think where we're at right now, as we're you know into training camp and what about a week to ten days away from starting scrimmages, I think the guys that are here are here, or at least are here for the foreseeable future. I don't expect there to be any further opt-outs from the NBA uh, rank-and-file.
0: I like the Celtics' chances uh, in the Eastern Conference, but then I heard that Kemba Walker is going to start on a minutes restriction because of his knee injury, which, again, I mean, it's been four months since we've seen basketball, and I would have thought a lot of the injuries would have certainly improved in four months. Is that more just because there hasn't been action for so long, or does it speak to the severity of his injury? No, Rich, I think that's the the first part of it. I think it's Kemba's
3: been on his own for so long and hasn't, you know, nobody's played five-on-five. But I think with that type of injury, that was a nagging injury that just lingered for so long. They want to make sure there's no re-aggravation there. So he'll be on a minutes restriction, I would guess, for maybe the first four or five games. But, you know, once we get to the tail end of the regular season, certainly into the playoffs, you're going to see Kemba Walker uh, you know just ready to roll like 35, 40 minutes a game if he has to I, I don't it, it would take a reaggravation of that injury to force Kemba out of that type of, of minutes uh, minutes load and I just, I just don't see it happening. I think he's going to be you know just fine uh, once they get through the first four or five games of the season.
4: Certainly fans probably don't know exactly what to expect from their team you know given this unprecedented layoff and restart here. Are you getting the feeling that coaches and players feel the same way? Is there some uncertainty that, you know, the Bucks can just pick up where they left off? Or did it benefit one team and maybe hurt another team? Is there an unknown factor here within the players and coaches themselves? Oh, absolutely. I mean,
3: nobody has any idea what to expect. I mean, coaches are are just getting, as we speak really, a first, second, and third look at, at what their teams are, are going to be able to do or what, the, what their players look like. After a long layoff, I mean, it's it's you only get snippets right now from team released videos, but you know, you look at Carmelo Anthony; it looks like he lost twenty pounds during this break. Rajon Rondo looked like the Incredible Hulk before he got injured uh, last night. Uh, you know, guys are, are 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 looking different, playing different, and once you see them start to get into scrimmages, you're going to see what kind of basketball condition they're in. But look, I, I don't, I don't be shocked. Put this way, I would be shocked if this won't shock in the playoffs. not get versus later. I, I don't believe it. I, I just. I just think too much has changed and too much can change over the next month or so that it just makes it impossible not to expect something completely unpredictable. Maybe it's like the 99 lockout where you had the Knicks and eight seed go all the way to the NBA finals. Um, Maybe you have like a team like the Portland trailblazers, you know, shock somebody in the first round and make a run, you know, all the way to the finals. I just think something loopy is going to happen because this is, this is not what, this is not what the NBA left off with. This is not, this should not be considered you know where the teams were at mid March. This is an entirely different thing. In a lot of cases, with entirely different players. Uh, when you look at the Blazers having a new front court, uh, Ben Simmons back in Philadelphia. I mean, this is this is just a totally different thing. It's going to, I think, have uh, some wacky results.
2: Spurs head coach Greg Popovich is seventy-one. Uh, Rockets head coach Mike D'Antoni is sixty-eight. Lakers assistant coach Lionel Hollins is sixty-six. Are there legitimate concerns about these older coaches in the NBA being in the in the danger zone here?
3: There are legitimate concerns. Um, I believe Lionel Holland's already opted out. I don't think he's going to be in L.A. Or he's in Orlando with the team. Uh, Mike D'Antoni has said he's going to wear a mask on the sidelines. I'm not entirely sure what Pop's going to do, but um, uh, either way, it, it's something that's closely monitored, you know, by the league. I mean these these men are in. You know, the kind of that warning area, and as safe as the league has been in keeping the coronavirus out of the bubble, and and will continue to be as diligent as they continue to be. I mean, the worst case scenario is someone like that uh, getting infected and suffering severe health consequences. Now, th- there's been there's been a weird pushback from the coaches association who see this see this idea of whether it's D'Antoni or Alvin Gentry or Popovich uh, wearing masks as potentially being detrimental to their ability to get jobs in the future. Like, I don't know what they think, whether they think the teams are going to like forget that Mike D'Antoni is almost 70. I I don't really understand that rationale, but there's a, there's been some pushback about, you know, coaches being forced to wear masks or coaches being, you know, kind of quarantined differently uh, during this experience. So, you know, the NBA, I think would like to do more with these at-risk coaches that are, that are part of this process, but the coaches association, and Warren Legare, who's a, a coaching agent to uh, many of these men, uh, have, have pushed back pretty hard on that, and they'll try to limit anything different that's that's done for them uh, throughout this entire process.
0: One of the biggest stories in the NBA over the weekend was actually the uh, suspension of Adrian Wojnarowski, and then the response by a number of the players and everything else that happened there. I don't want to put you in a weird spot, but what what did you think of everything that went down with Woj?
3: You know, I, I know Adrian probably regrets it, because he's one of the best people I know and that he in sending something like that, uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't line up with the person that he is. I I just found it more, you know, reprehensible how it was taken and spun and, and made into this, this sort of, you know, ESPN is all left wing sort of talking point. I mean, you're a a Senator from Missouri and you're basically tagging another website on your tweet to try to kind of rile up the mob. I don't, I don't understand that, that at all. I mean Adrian did what he should have after the fact. He apologized. He reached out to the Senator's office. My understanding is he hasn't been able to to reach anyone over there. It seems like the Senator would prefer to, you know, just, you know, use the media to, to drum up support for whatever it is, is he wants to drum up support for. But as I said at the beginning, guys, there's like they're they're asking for something that hasn't been asked for. Like as far as I know, no player or coach or anybody has asked to you know, wear free Hong Kong on their Jersey or do anything like that. So, you know, yeah, I don't look, I understand that, you know, what's happening over in China is reprehensible. What's happening in Hong Kong right now is reprehensible, but I don't, I don't understand why players are necessarily being asked to take issue with something that doesn't resonate with them as much as the black lives matter movement does as much as, uh, you know, you know, police officers killing black men, uh, as much as that registers with them, I just I think there's a, a real disingenuous dis, disingenuousness to to what's going on right now when it comes to some of the stuff that happened the last couple of days.
4: Chris, you used the word "loopy" earlier that you almost expect something loopy to happen uh, in the bubble and and with this postseason run. Would you consider the Celtics winning the title loopy?
3: Not really. I mean, they're that good. I mean, they, they what third seed when the thing start stopped and. You know, you've got a whole bunch of scores on that mix. I think they're, you know, I, I think they're a co-favorite to all this, and with like four or five other teams that are at the top of the pile. I'm just, I'm just wondering when we get into these scrimmages, like who is just awful, like who is just looks like they haven't played basketball. Like right now, all you hear are good things. I've yet to hear one negative thing about a player coming back. It's not like, well, Jason Tatum hasn't shot the ball in two months, but you know, here's Ennis Cantor saying he's he looks like he. He's better than he was before. Tatum's saying, you know, I'm stronger than than I was when I got back. I worked my body during the lockout, I mean, or during the work stoppage. Like, there's – it's all positive right now. At some point, there's going to be negatives. At some point, you're going to see guys just aren't in shape whose shooting percentages plummet. I mean, there's going to be – like, I think the shooting percentages in this playoffs are going to be awful. I think they're going to be college basketball level. But my opinion in college basketball is that sucks from top to bottom. Like, it's going to be bad, bad shooting in these NBA playoffs. And I think that's going to play well – for teams that are able to score on the inside, that have great defenses, that have interior presences on both ends of the floor. Like, that's something to watch closely as we move forward. Like, how teams are able to manufacture offense when that, those three point shots just aren't falling because shooting is a perishable skill. Like, if you, mm. if you haven't shot the ball for three or four months, you're not just going to get it back in the span of three or four weeks. I, I think it's going to take much longer for some of these guys to regain the skills that they lost. Uh, during this time off.
2: Does that hurt a team like the Celtics that has had rebounding issues back when they were still playing basketball?
3: I think it does. I mean, I think that, you know, not only that, but they are a perimeter-oriented team. I mean, their their greatest strength comes with Tatum and Walker and Brown and and guys on the outside. So I think that they're going to have to be, you know, not, not to get too deep in the weeds, but far more aggressive at paint scoring, far better at gang rebounding. I mean, I've said this before and written it, I think Philadelphia is sitting pretty right now. I mean, Philadelphia in mid-March, I mean, they were a disaster. I mean, they were playing out the string. Ben Simmons was done. You know, Brett Brown had one foot out the door. Maybe out in Brand, the GM, was going to get fired. And now here they are. Ben Simmons is back. And the the picture looks like a monster out there. And they're the team that couldn't shoot threes anyway. So now, you know, everybody else is kind of playing maybe on their playing field. They've got a great defense. Three lockdown defenders with, with Simmons, Embiid, and Josh Richardson. Um, and an ability to score high percentage shots through and beat the low post. I mean, I, I, look at Philly. I mean, you know, the, I don't know how much like maneuvering is going to be done for that opening or those opening round playoff spots. But if you're Boston, you want to make sure you get nothing to do with them. You want Indiana. You want Brooklyn if you can get your hands on them or whatever the Art formerly known as Brooklyn right. at this point. You want Orlando at this point. I mean, you want anybody but the Philadelphia 76ers in that first round.
1: Okay, picture this.